This is the second mini-lecture on inferential reasoning. The topic is statistical reasoning and um, concepts involving statistical thought. My goal here is not to actually teach us a lot of statistics, but to help us um, learn to use statistical information and statistical concepts to inform our thinking in other areas that are informed by statistics. So the important thing to know is that statistical reasoning, like other types of reasoning or inference patterns that we've been talking about throughout the course, is actually a type of reasoning. It's not just um, something that's all by itself. So in order to engage in a useful discussion, we need to have a few concepts under our belt. So let's talk about samples and populations for a second. The population is the group that we're trying to make inferences about. So this is any group of objects. Usually it's a population of human beings, um, especially when it involves things like medical or economic data. But um, it's not just human populations. It could be statistical inferences about um, insects or birds or types of rock or things like that. The sample when you're doing statistics is the subset of the population that you're directly examining. So for example, if um, we took a classroom and it had 50 people in it and there were 10 rows of five, I could use one row there as a sample of the population. Ideally, we want our sample to be representative and random. Um, and this is important because if we fail to have a representative or randomly selected sample, then that's going to bias our, uh, our statistical inferences that we're making. A representative sample is a sample that captures or reflects the characteristics of the population as a whole. And a random sample is a sample that every member of the population has an equal chance of getting into. So the big slide on population of sample shows us a sample that is both representative and random drawn from the population given. The next slide on the big picture shows us a model of how statistical reasoning works. We start from the population and then we sample and then we examine the sample and then we make our inferences about the population on the basis of what we discover in the sample. Now, whenever we receive statistical information, there are some questions we should ask. We should ask things like, well, how large is the sample? Especially, how large is the sample relative to the population? Is the sample representative of the population? Is the sample randomly chosen? So, for example, if we have this, in a sample of students, 83% is opposed to the tuition increase. Therefore, probably 83% of the entire student population is opposed to a tuition increase. Is the sample a good sample? Um, what sorts of factors could you imagine would affect whether or not that's a good sample? The next two slides labeled example 13a um, give us a couple of examples um, involving a study about um, mate preferences among women. Um, the next thing we need to talk about are what are sometimes called statistical averages or measures of central tendency. You probably learned these in elementary school the first time, or at least in middle school. The true statistical average, or what's sometimes called the mean, is a calculated statistical value based upon the number of people in your sample or in your population and the actual measured value. 
The way you calculate it, of course, is you add up all of the values and you divide it by the number of people in the group that you're considering. You might consider, for example, what the average or mean weight of some loaf of bread is or what the average income of a household is. Those are all measures of the mean. The median value is the value that falls in the middle of the sample. That is, there are an equal number of um, data points above and below, or an equal number of measurements above the value or below the value. We determine the median by arranging the data we get. That is, we go from one end to the other and we put them in a series of increasing value, or um, and then we find the middle point. The mode is the most common value, and um, it's simply that. It's the one that most occurs. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the middle, but it ought to be in the middle if our data is um, appropriately structured. There's a simple exercise here to allow you to calculate a mean, median, and mode. The next two slides are actually comparison slides. They ask us to compare measures of mean income to measures of median income. Both of these charts show that mean income or mean wealth in the United States is higher than median wealth in the United States. How could that be possible? Think about what the sample had to look like in order to get these sorts of results. What this means is that even though there are an equal number of people above and below the median, the median, that is the midpoint, is not um, the average um, amount of income or the average um, wealth. What's going on here is there are actually some people who are making a lot more money um, relative to the median than the poorest people in the sample are below the median. The next concept we need to talk about is called standard deviation. And standard deviation just is a way of talking about the amount of diversity in our sample. So normally um, when, you re when you sample a population and you measure something like the average height of a group of people, you find that they're distributed in a way that sort of reflects what we call this bell curve distribution. And then what you do is you divide up the bell curve into um, various segments under the bell curve, and you get almost everybody inside of the measure of three standard deviations here. Three standard deviations on either side of the mean. People outside of that are extremely uncommon, but we have to have a way of measuring them. They're the tails of the bell curve. So the shape of the curve, whether it's spiky or flat, whether it's narrow or wide, are all representations of the, um, the, the characteristic known as standard deviation. So there's an example slide here about average income by age and gender, and it shows that over a period of time, uh, relative to certain ages, men make more money than women. And the shape of the male curve is actually this rather nice rounded bell curve, but the shape of the women's curve is actually sort of weird. It's bumpy and flat in certain places. And it's interesting sometimes to think about why that might happen. So for example, why would female income sort of track with male income up to about 25 to 34 and then go flat for a while and then bump up again around 45 
and then start trailing off and starting to mimic the male curve again. You can think about various explanations. Now you might come up with an explanation that you think answers that, but really all we have here is data, right? We have a representation of data. We don't have an explanation. Slide 18 shows us that um, it's the standard deviation that affects the shape of these curves. So for example, if standard deviation is small, you get a spiky curve. Small standard deviation means that there's actually not much variance between the various um, data points that you're collecting. So here's an example um, down standard deviation is shrinking, so etc. etc. And what this slide shows is the shape of the mortality curve for people overall. And what we discover is we have two years here. We have 1933, where you have a, a flatter curve, and 2014, where you have a spikier curve. And in 1933, the likelihood of death at any given time was sort of spread out over a wider age range. Whereas in 2014, uh, data here as represented by the blue line, it actually becomes much more common to die after about the age of 85. The next two slides give us instructions on how to calculate standard deviation. And basically, uh, a standard deviation is just a way of talking about the average difference between the average um, piece of data and the mean. Um, and that's sort of a weird but um, convoluted way of calculating it, but that's the way you do it officially. I'm not necessarily going to hold you um, hostage to knowing this when we do evaluations and assessment on this material, but it's worthwhile to try and take a stab of calculating it. And so exercise 13C gives you an opportunity to do that. Depending upon how the median mode and mean of a data set um, are related to each other, the shape of the curve, that is the distribution of the data, can be skewed one way or the other. The three different um, curves represented on slide 20, slide 20 are examples of the different types of skew, positive, negative skew, and then normal distribution. And then there's an example here um, in slide 21 of skew in some economic data. So notice that the red line here is um, data about income from federal government employees. And then the blue line is for everybody in the economy. And so um, your median income, that is the most, uh, the average income of people in the economy for this sample was for around 44,000, but the mean income for um, federal government employees was 74,000. So if you were trying to make a decision about whether to work in a federal government job or not, um, you might say to yourself, well, my average income, if I become a federal government employee, um, just in any old random job is um, $30,000 more. On the other hand, um, the maximum amount of money you can earn as a federal government employee is capitated around $500,000. So the line doesn't extend beyond that. Whereas in the blue curve, your income possibility um, tra trails off infinitely to the right. So if you wanna have unlimited income possibility, then you would not wanna work in the federal government. You'd wanna put yourself somewhere on the blue line. This is one example of how we can use statistical data and data that includes information about medians and modes to um, make decisions about um, things in real life.
So what happens um, when data is skewed? One way that data can be, can be skewed is that the average point or the mean point can be in the wrong place. Now, normally, and you know this from years in school, when we talk about the average performance of um, students on a test, we're thinking about around 70%. But what happens if the actual calculated average is below that? What do we do? Well, you know, when we talk about curving the scores of a grade, one thing we can do is we can just shift the entire bell curve to the right or to the left. And that's what that, that's what's going on there. We're adjusting for a skew. One thing that can happen, though, is if we get too caught up in the use of statistical notions and reasoning, we can make um, we can commit certain kinds of errors or fallacies where we misuse statistical information or we can confuse qualitative information for quantitative information. So for example, is the fact that something is most often purchased, that is, it's the modal um, purchase, the same thing as saying that the product is the best product on the market. So for example, if the most commonly purchased brand of soda is Coca-Cola, does that mean that that's the best? So that sort of question can't be answered by statistical information, but oftentimes we get presented with statistical information as if it's qualitative, but also we get presented with qualitative information um, and we're asked to interpret it as if it is statistical information. And so we have to be careful about that.